Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 273. We're talking with Ed Smither about what history can teach us about missions in the church. The history of mission has always been a global history of mission. The Western world to the rest of the world has just been a part of the story. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. We want to provide a way for thousands of people to hear a message, make connections, and take action. And I would like to mention that I also edit other podcasts like the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment, which you can find at fxmissions.com. If you or somebody you know are looking for help with a podcast, send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I'd love to talk to you about that. This week, we are talking about history and missions in the church, but before we do that, I would like to say a quick hello to Mary, Sam, and Larry. All of them recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. If you'd like to do that and you haven't already, facebook.com slash engagingmissions, and Mary, Sam, and Larry, welcome. It's great to have you there. Also, after our featured guest, I will have a personal update for you, as well as some potential changes for the publishing schedule. So if you'd like to catch that, you're going to need to wait to the very end. With that, we're going to go right into our time with Ed Smither. Today we have with us Dr. Edward L. Smither. He's the Dean of the College of Intercultural Studies at Columbia International University. He spent about 14 years in intercultural ministry, working primarily among Muslims in France, North Africa, and in the U.S. as well. He's the president of the Evangelical Missiological Society, and he's the author of a number of books. We have him on here with us today to talk about his recent book, Christian Mission, A Concise Global History. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it is totally my pleasure. And I have to tell you that having read your book, I, I really appreciate that you took the the subtitle, A Concise Global History, that you took that to heart and you did make it concise. You know, you covered a lot of stuff in a couple hundred pages. It was really engaging and really thoughtful. And I, I really appreciated that. There's, there's a lot that I'm still continuing to process. It's a really dense book. I, I'm wondering, though, as I think about this book, what, what inspired you to write this book now? Sure. Well, um, I write for my students, and for about the last 10, 12 years, I've been teaching a one-semester survey of mission history, and and frankly, as you know, as a professor, as you're trying to get together books and resources, I just was never happy with a one-volume book. And there, there are a lot of good uh, mission history books that are out there, and so so really, this book kind of came together of my journey with students for about the last 12 years. And ultimately, it was to provide them a one-semester resource, especially for upper undergrad students and seminary students that have maybe had a little bit of church history, but are kind of looking at the history of mission for the first time. 
Okay. As I read the book, it certainly covered things in a, in a manner similar to how a textbook might have covered it, but it seemed like the appeal might have been broader. Who is it intended for? Well, I think that certainly it's for students, but I think also I think about pastors, I think about people that are in full-time mission work. And I think history is kind of making a comeback in terms of the study of history. And so really, I think anyone, you know, probably post high school, but anyone that really wants to engage a little bit in a, in a broad survey of mission history. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. One of the things that I struggled with with history was trying to synthesize it when I was, when I was in college and in high school, trying to synthesize and understand, okay, what did all of these things mean? And what I appreciated was that at the end of every chapter, you did some of that work for me. So it made it easier for me to understand. As, as you look through the, the trends and you think about the content of the book, are there any of those summaries or trends or things that you summarized that really kind of stand out? Well, my favorite part, I was trained in my own academic journey in early church studies, which often doesn't get a lot of attention in, uh, in missions history. For me, in fact, I was having this, con- I was teaching an eight o'clock lecture this morning, lecturing eight o'clock, and, and we were asking the question from about the year 100 to 750 in the church, who were the missionaries? And, and the one thing that, that really stands out is that there weren't that many full-time vocational missionaries, certainly those people that said that self-identified as missionaries. Rather, the mission of God was really owned by all kinds of people in the church, bishops and monks and philosophers and teachers and business people. And I think in the, while, while it's great that there are mission organizations and missionaries today and People that when they fill out their taxes and they ask for your vocation, you can say, I'm a missionary. I think that's a great thing. But I think the problem with that sometimes is that it can say to the rest of the church, the work of mission belongs to missionaries. And I think the early church story tells us that the work of mission belongs to all of God's people. So, so if we take that a little bit further, what would that mean in practical terms for us now? I think maybe you and I both have been in a church service, and I've actually participated in this as a missionary, where the pastor called up all the missionaries that were going back out to the field and pray for them. And I think that there ought to be uh, included in that prayer time, a time for medical workers and government employees and people in the private sector and teachers to also be called forward to their mission field. And now I realize that the context of work, it's difficult to often maybe to share our faith. But as a mentor of mine said, he's a church planter, and he said, my, my vision is for everybody in our church to get to know their neighbors and share Christ and get to know their coworkers at work and share Christ. And and that's really stuck with me. Yeah, I, I love that. One of the things that I hear thrown around from time to time is that if if everything becomes missions, then nothing is missions. How do we appropriately walk that? I don't want it just to be a discussion about semantics, but what does that look like? Well, uh, Stephen Neal made that quote in a book in 1959, and what he was concerned about was good social work, programs for the poor and, and social programs becoming reclassified as mission. And I do think caring for the poor and doing good deeds is a part of Christian mission, But as I've strived to define it in the book, for me, Christian mission is crossing barriers from the community of faith to non-faith, and an essential component of mission is sharing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and inviting Mm. 
lost sinners to believe and come into a relationship with God. And if we stop doing that, then we're not really distinct from the Red Cross or the UN or, or other good social programs. The heart of mission is preaching the gospel. And I think that's what Neil was concerned with. And I share that concern. But to follow up on that, I think that all of God's people could be involved in mission and word by what they share with their mouths and indeed in the, in the good works of their hands that bring glory to God. Oh, yeah, definitely. You talked about bridging that divide. And I remember from the book, one of the, the, the greatest divide really is the divide between faith and not faith. But there are also those mm-hmm. cultural and geographical mm-hmm. divides. As you think mm-hmm. about history, what were some of the most effective ways that missionaries or bishops or whoever we're talking about were able to enter a region or a group of people and then have a strong and lasting impact where they were? You know, again, from a conversation this morning with students, we were talking about monks who would go into, I think about the monks that came from Rome that went to England in the year 596. And the first stop was to knock on the door of the king. In fact, they were welcomed by the king of Canterbury, and they shared Christ with him. He didn't believe. And then they said, may we share Christ with your people in your region? And he gave them favor to do that. And so I think just going, now now it's a little bit difficult to do in the world today in some places. I can think of some countries where that wouldn't get you very far. But I think the authenticity of wherever we go to identify as followers of Christ, coming in peace, coming in Jesus's name. And so uh, that was an effective way to bridge into a new area. I think many of the people that we study in this book did begin to learn culture and they learned languages well. And so I'm, I'm particularly a fan of the monks that we study in this book. And so when I think about Celtic monks moving across Europe in the Middle Ages, they started monasteries, but they also brought about an agricultural revolution. They got food to grow out of the ground and they, they brought blessing to the places where they lived and they preached the gospel and they brought about a a revolution in Europe. One of the things that I continue to marvel at is the, the the richness of the history of the church, if we're willing to spend a little bit of time on it. And transparently, a couple decades before, I really wasn't willing to spend that time. And now that I'm there, I'm just thinking, man, I wish I would have paid attention 20, 30 years ago. But I'm glad that you're bringing that out now. One of the other things I wonder, because I think there have been some mission efforts that have appeared to be fruitful, but then in the end, they've ended up being not fruitful. Mm-hmm. As you look over those in history, are there any any parts of the approach or the activation of those mission efforts that you think might have led to that lack of long-term effectiveness? Well, I think uh, one of the things, if, if when I think about how Europeans, especially from Spain and Portugal, were coming to the Americas, there were a lot of mass baptisms but not followed up by a lot of discipleship. And, and even what we even see in, in Latin America today, you know, Latin America self-defines as about 80% Christian, but there's a very, overall, there's a very, not a great depth in terms of understanding the gospel and, and things like that. And so I, I, think, I think part of that comes from, we, we have mission coming with empire, we have empires expanding and, and missionaries were on, on board the same boats, which that in of itself is problematic because we have this correlation with power and the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then there was just kind of this, this sprinkling of Christianizing that, that went on. 
but not always a lot of, of deep discipleship and church planting and church multiplication. As I think about your history, we've spent some time talking about the book, but you also have some really hands-on experience. And I'm wondering, how much did your work in France and North Africa and in the U.S. shape how you approached and what you put in the book? Well, I actually was studying history before I went over and, and served in France and North Africa. And I would sort of answer the question a little bit in reverse. Okay. Having a historical background, you know, one of the nice things that we can do is when we move into a new area is to ask the question, what's been going on here in the last 50 years, in the last 10 years? And I have to say that people where we come from, from North America, don't always ask the historical questions of what have people tried and how have people strived to share the gospel? What's gone well? And I would say that that, that helped me along the way as we went into a couple of uh, settings in North Africa to, to try to get a gauge for how has the gospel been shared and what, how has the church uh, grown in, in that part of the world. So, but, but I will add that, that I, got to live, I got to live in France, and this morning I was lecturing on Martin of Tours, a 4th century monk who evangelized throughout France. And I also got to live in, in North Africa and got to visit places like Carthage and Hippo and later Rome, where where a lot of neat things happened. Assisi, where St. Francis was from. Mm. And so it is. So one of the things, this is kind of answering the question a little bit differently, is that many, many parts of the Muslim world today, parts of Asia, there is a rich Christian heritage. Mm. And I often found myself able to share the gospel with people through their own history. And that was a lot of our experience in North Africa is, is talking about Tertullian and Augustine and Perpetua and Felicitas and telling their stories to them and basically sharing Christ with people through their own history. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Well, one of the things that most surprised me, and I, a little bit embarrassed that I didn't know this, but there was such a strong Christian history in, you mentioned Asia, there was some in China, some in Japan. I, mm-hmm. I really wasn't aware of that before I read the book. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. are there other pockets of rich Christian history that people often aren't aware of? Yeah, I, I think when you look at, you think about where Paul started in Antioch, it went westward, well, not too long after Paul's life in, into the 3rd century and into the 7th century, there was a great movement east of, of Syrian and Persian churches and believers, and they went all the way to China by the year 635. And it was largely along the Silk Road route hmm. through Central Asia. So that's an area, in fact, there, there's, a, there's a group that I write about in the book called the Church of the East. Sometimes they're called Nestorian Christians or Eastern Christians, and they planted hundreds of churches and monasteries all across what is now Central Asia. So last year, I was down at the University of South Carolina, and I, I sat down at an international student lunch and was talking to a student from Afghanistan, and he comes from a city called Merv that's along the Silk Road. So I asked him, I said, where are you from? And he told me, and he goes, but you've never heard of it. And I said, actually, I have. (laughs) And I started to, again, get to talk to him a little bit about what I understood, where he's from. And I said, you know, people have been following Jesus in your city from a very early time, way, way before the gospel ever got to South Carolina, where we are now. It was in Afghanistan. And so, you know, I would say the 
Central Asia between uh, Arabia and China. Very, very cool. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear about that kind of stuff. And I'm especially excited to hear about your ability to have that conversation with somebody where he thought you weren't going to know anything about his background, right? His his hometown. That's that's mm-hmm. pretty incredible. If our history could speak to us about the importance of discipleship and the church and evangelism, what do you think it would say to us about where we are right now? Yeah, I think the historic faith, especially through the early church, has been summarized in the creeds. From, from a very early point, people have been saying things like, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our mm-hmm. Lord, and we know the creeds. And that's a confession, that's a declaration. It's, it's dogmatic, it's a claim. Uh, we are witnesses to that, and I think that probably in certain points of the Church, they would probably look us today and say, where is your witness? Where is your gospel witness? What is your gospel witness? I think especially in a pluralistic age when we, even as believers, young believers, don't want to make exclusive claims, the history of the church is full of a bunch of creeds that really come from Scripture that declare that Jesus is Lord, and and we believe that God is maker, Jesus is Savior, we believe in the Holy Spirit and the church, and it's pretty dogmatic. As you look around at where we are right now, are there any trends that you're either really excited about or that you're really concerned about? You know, I'm excited that people are thinking about wanting to learn more about the world. North Americans are not always great about knowing about history or geography or global cultures. And so, so, so I'm encouraged that high school youth groups want to go and, and explore Guatemala. Hmm. So I'm excited about that, but I'm also concerned about that. Do we go with a learner-servant posture? Are we motivated by adventure, by exotic adventures and excitement? You know, I think some places like Guatemala, if they get another high school group all wearing the same T-shirt, it seems like the country is going to just fall into the earth or something. It's it's a it, those are popular destinations, and so so I'm excited about that. People are thinking more globally. But we just want to we just want to do it well with a long term perspective and with an other centered perspective. Mm. Yeah, kind of bringing it back to the book a little bit. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you put a lot of time into writing this book. It sounds like years because you were working on history before. What would mm-hmm. you hope to see maybe ten or twenty years down the road as a result of having this book out there and available for people? Yeah, I, I think that you know history is an honest story. And just as we come broken to the cross of Christ, the, the story of Christianity is a story of broken people. Sometimes I'm amazed that we're still here. And it is God's story in mission. It, it is the mission of God throughout history. I think I would add to that that, going back to something I said earlier, that all kinds of people have contributed to, have participated in the mission of God. And and so I would hope that all kinds of people reading this, not necessarily vocational ministers or missionaries, but all kinds of people would see that that with their unique gifts and training in business or in medicine or physical therapy, that they have something that they can contribute to. And I think a concise global history, the history of mission has always been a global history of mission. And so the Western world to the rest of the world has just been a part of the story. And I will say that more of the story is going to be told because 
the story of Chinese missionaries today is not being very well documented because of security reasons. So the Jim Elliots and the, you know, the Lottie Moons, they're mm. very well documented, but they're just a part of a much broader story that we get to be a part of. Yeah. The book, Christian Mission, is available on Amazon. For those listening, I do recommend that you go ahead and get that. I'll have a link for you in the show notes. Ed, if people wanted to connect with you, is your website the best place to send them? Sure. That'd be great. Okay. Yeah. So check out the show notes. We'll have a link for that website as well. One other question for you before we go. I'm just wondering, how can we best pray for you? Sure. Pray that I walk with God today and love my family. And that's a simple prayer, but I would just pray that we just keep Christ first and and my first love and love my wife and kids and, and be on mission where I am. And, um, yeah, I uh, I would I would I would uh, cover those prayers. Yeah, definitely. And for those listening, I do recommend that you go ahead and pause the recording now and pray for Ed because if you're like me, there's a chance you're going to forget before bedtime. So I just recommend that you do that. Pause the recording. Come on back. We'll still be here for you. Ed, it was absolutely wonderful to have you on here. Love reading the book and being able to connect with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. One more time, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Ed Smither for being with us and also to you for joining us. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Ed Smither. That's, that's where you're going to find the link to his website as well as any of the other resources that we talked about and his book. Make sure that you come back next time. We're going to be hearing from a missionary who's been in Thailand, and she's going to talk about some of the incredible things that she's seen God do, as well as what the ministry that she's part of is doing in terms of bringing both the message of the gospel and also serving. Pretty powerful stuff. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, that is absolutely the best way to make sure that you don't miss it. You can visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe, choose your favorite podcast app, and then subscribe right there. And if you have a story of how you've been equipped or challenged or inspired through the Engaging Missions show, I'd love to hear from you. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Thanks again one more time for being here. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to connecting in a couple more weeks. I bet you thought that I'd forgotten about the update and the changes to the publishing schedule. Well, I didn't, but I wanted to put it here as part of this personal update. So first off, it's the middle of November as I'm recording this. It'll come out in December, and I'm right in the middle of a 30-day podcasting challenge. It's a daily podcasting challenge, and I'm producing short episodes every day, about five minutes long, or maybe 10 on the outside. And this is all about me getting better 
as a host. So it's something that I'm doing over a period of time to try to get better. And if you're a podcaster, you might be interested in this particular show. It's at 1000podcasters.com. I'm trying to provide stuff that's valuable for podcasters or potential podcasters, and I'm doing that there. But besides that, things have been getting super busy in terms of editing and some of the things that are going on, as well as just the normal holiday things picking up, family stuff, and I've been begun to start be, to fall behind on production. In fact, as I'm recording this, I should have had it to the to Gabby, who works on the show notes a couple of days ago, and I don't, so I'm kind of rushing to get this done. But in particular, I've been picking up some additional paid editing, in the, and in addition to this show, I'm having trouble making some of the trade-off decisions because I want to do this show well, but it costs money rather than bringing money in, and the editing is actually bringing some money in. So I'm considering changing the publishing schedule from every other week to when I can get an episode done, probably starting at the first of the year. However, I'd love to hear from you about what you think about this. I'd love to have your feedback on that particular thing, feedback at engagingmissions.com. Let me know what you think, and I'd love to hear from you in any event. I'd love to hear from you, and I really appreciate you. I hope that this show was valuable for you, and look forward to connecting in a couple more weeks. 